talks on psychoanalysis shares topics published in the IPA Society Journals and Congress Debates Worldwide, brought you in the voices of the original authors. We hope this window will allow you to experience the depth and breadth of psychoanalytic thought around the world. This podcast has been created by Gaetano Pellegrini and edited by Gaetano Pellegrini and Andy Cohen. Introduction read by Andy Cohen. In today's episode, Anna Furuta presents an excerpt from her article published in 2014 in the Italian Psychoanalytic Annual entitled The Analytic Setting and Space for the Other. Anna Furuta is a psychologist, full member and training analyst of the Italian Psychoanalytical Society and of the International Psychoanalytical Association. She works as a psychoanalyst in Milan, Italy, specializing in the treatment of severe psychic pathologies and the psychodynamics of institutional working groups. She is a founding member of Mito e Rialta, Association for Therapeutic Communities. Other appointments have included Vice Director of Psyche, Lecturer in Psychiatry at the University of Pavia, and Consultant in the Neurological Institute Besta in Milan. She is the author of several Italian and international publications. The Analytic Setting and Space for the Other Views on the setting have taken on greater breadth and depth, the emphasis being principally on two aspects. First, the setting as a set of rules and invariants, a condition that is essential to the development of the psychoanalytic process and can be modified in accordance with the situation the patient, while remaining a set of rules and procedures. Second, the setting was as a vessel for the most symbiotic part of the psychic organization, of which one becomes aware at times of crisis, a fusional, viscous entity or meta-ego that is not necessarily pathological, but which coexists and alternates with other ways of experiencing the reality of self and other. The first aspect concerns a conception of the setting as a set of rules that are subjected to ongoing scrutiny for the identification of every manifestation of the unconscious, which is seen as bursting the bounds of any preconceived framework. The need to devise new settings for making contact with new subjects and new pathologies had already emerged at time of Ferenc's contributions on elasticity of technique and of Menelik Klein's play technique in child analysis. These notions were later widened and extended to the issue of the frequency and structure of sessions with adolescents and to all forms in which the mother-child couple is encountered in a session and culminated in a focus on the preverbal dimension and the procedural elements of communications. This first position is addressed in Luciana Di Simomigliano's paper entitled The Setting, a team with variations, a well-structured and wide-ranging consideration of the limits and possibilities inherent in the setting, seen as a rule whose potential is expressed in variations that demonstrate the emergence of the unconscious. The author points out that Freud was reluctant to refer to technique lest 
it exerts a scholastic repetitive influence on candidates and limit their creative freedom in the exercise of evilly suspended attention. She gives a clear account of her accurate conception of the setting with a number of examples of variance. I quote, accurate does not obviously mean rigid. It does not mean using the setting as a defense, nor worry more about one's own professional faultiness than about one's patient's needs. And sometimes some of them might think and verbalize But it is possible that in the cases in which the observance of the setting sensed by a particular patient as a screen, it is not only a projection of his, but also a quite correct perception. End of quote. Ferenczi was the first to invoke the elasticity of the setting. He was followed by an appreciable contingent of French analysts, such as Racamier, on psychoanalysis without a couch, Donnet, who distinguished between the site of analysis and the analytic situation, Gibol on analytic psychodrama, and Azio NKS on group psychoanalysis. Variations of the setting have been discussed not only by Luciana Nissimo Migliano with her rereading of Freud and Franco Borgogno, who revisited some of the issues raised by Ferenczi but also by analysts who have addressed the subject in connection with the analysis of children, adolescents and borderlines with a view to accommodating the characteristics of the patient. The clinical literature is replete with reports of breaches of the setting as felicitous and useful opportunities for understanding aspects of the analytic relationship that had remained obscure and hence constituted manifestations of the unconscious that could then be utilized, interpreted and integrated. All these important considerations are ultimately based on a conception of the setting as a rule that should not be applied rigidly and should be adopted to suit the individual subjects who enter the analyst consulting room by a personalized approach that uses the breaches and windows on unconscious relational areas to be discovered. However, such reflections fail to cast light on a complex issue concerning the psychoanalytic method. As an instrument designed for gaining access to and developing the unconscious dimensions of individual subjectivity and creativity, the method must, of course, be capable of subtle and differentiated analysis, but, in addition, if the fundamental structures of psychic functioning are to be apprehended, it cannot dispense with certain invariance or constants specific to it. The second approach ultimately identified the setting as the dimension intended to accommodate the psychotic part of the personality whose existence is revealed in the absence of the setting. 
This standpoint was first illustrated in depth by Bleger in the form of Gliscrocheric position. It was subsequently developed further by Ogden as the autistic contiguous position and described and theorized by Civitarese in his contribution on the symbiotic link and the setting. In his seminal paper, Bleger distinguishes within the totality of the analytic situation process and non-process, that is set in frame and quadre, the latter comprising a set of constants specified in terms of space and time and fixed arrangements concerning costs, breaks, and so on. In the original Spanish version of his paper, he mentions Minnikov's use of the word setting, but prefers his own term enquadre. Bleger sees the enquadre as an institution that permits the unfolding of the phenomena of the process. The institution constitutes an aspect of the individual personality and, as a part of the identity of each individual, comes into being by allegiance to a group, institution, ideology, party or the like. The enquadre is a beta behavior and the phenomena observed depend on it. I quote Black. The frame is the most primitive part of the personality. It is the fusion ego body world on whose immobility depend the formation, existence and differentiation of the ego, the object, the body image, the body, the mind and so on. Precisely. Because the enquadre is respected, the symbiotic element of the patient's personality, his ghost world, can be brought into light of day. Hence, there are two enquadres. One maintained by the analyst and consciously accepted by the patient, and the other comprising the patient's invisible world. Baker writes, The development of the ego in analysis in the family or in any institution depends on the immobility of the non-ego. End of quotation. Blegger regards this fusional, viscous, psychotic dimension as a basal component of the personality, a meta-ego that re-emerges in certain circumstances, as a need to re-elaborate new areas of the mind and new spaces of thinkability. It is the Gliscrocaric position which alternates with the Klein-Ambionian paranoid schizoid depressive positions. The analyst and quadre must help the patient to re-establish the prime symbiosis, so as to enable him to change it. The complex and contradictory dialectic issue of the enquadre setting should, in my view, be considered in terms of praxis, with the exercise of conceptual clarity and clinical attention, rather than deducing technique from abstract general statements, and whistling down theory 
to the arbitrary feeling of the two subjects concerned. I uh, am uh, uh, illustrating this uh, conception of the setting as space-time for representability. Another dimension of the analytic setting to be examined here has less to do with institutional rules or mental symbiosis than with the conditions of representability. Nissimo Migliano reminds us that probably the first to use words the setting in the sense in which we understand it was Winnicott, where he defined the setting as a summation of all details of management which are more or less accepted by all psychoanalysts. I shall begin by revisiting some of the conditions adduced by Winnicott in his planned 1954 paper on regression, which illustrate the settings potential as an instrument for representing patients' internal worlds, differing as they do according to whether patient is regressive psychotic on one hand or neurotic and able to dream in the session on the other. I quote Winnicott. Neurotic patients like to have the third patient always excluded and the eight roused by sight of a other patients may disturb the work in an unpredictable ways. Depressive patients may be glad to see other patients till they reach the primitive or greedy love which then engenders their guilt. Regressive patients either have no objection to there being other patients or else they cannot conceive or there being another patient. Another patient is none other than a new version of the self. End of quotation. Winnicott's remarks on regression in analysis demonstrate that regression may occur even if a mental organization is present in the patient. The setting enables the patient temporarily to forego his organization, however elementary it may be, and to give as free a rein as possible to his unconscious associations, while relying on being held by the concrete and mental setting provided by the analyst. Winnicott's contribution specifically shows that regression does not mean a return to infantile behavior. It takes place in subjects whose mental organization has heightened to remain invisible and the patient must encounter the environmental condition that will enable him to return to a starting place, a place from which to operate. This conception does not transform the setting into a therapeutic factor that replaces interpretation, but allows the patient partially to suspend his stereotyped pathological defenses organization and to get in touch with a more flexible and dynamic form of functioning, which, together with the analyst, he will gradually seek to represent and structure. The setting is not only the above-described situation, but basically a mental attitude of the analyst. 
The setting is an essential instrument of analytic work intended to construct the concrete and mental conditions whereby the patient can find ways of representing his subjective world within a relationship with words, past, postural and gestural nonverbal communications, dreams, telepathy and so on. In conclusion, what specifically characterizes the analytic work comprising the setting is not the act or rule whose therapeutic and maturational value does not lie in elasticity and adaptation to the age and pathology, nor is it its tacit dimension as a vessel for the psychotic fusional aspect that is sometimes needed if the frozen emotions and effects to be reactivated are to reemerge. With regard to the setting, on the other hand, Orden writes that technique must serve the psychoanalytic process and not the other way around. He considers issues such as session frequency and the use of the couch. He points out that the dialectical interplay of analysts and patient states of reverie, which culminates in the creation of the intersubjective analytic third, calls for conditions of extreme privacy that must be safeguarded by psychoanalytic technique. The setting as an aspect of technique is characterized by provision of the conditions for listening the canvas that could speak, as Bolla says, or the non-human environment, as Sir says, so that the subject can feel that he is in a safe area in which he will not be exposed to prescriptions retaliation, intrusion, unilateral abandonment or extractive identification, but will be able to make use of a mind placed at his disposal for the staging of love, hate, fear, friendship, creativity, happiness, longing or pain. A true theater in which he at last has the space and time to portray the many characters he feels he can potentially become, without being compelled to make a premature choice and without losing the cohesion of himself. This conception of the setting as pre-represented space-time essentially a play-related dimension developed out of work with patients with severe pathologies. It offers the conditions of safety and freedom needed for representing and, as Winnicott puts it, for bringing out aspects of the dream potential and using the objects of the analytic situation, the analyst world, fantasy, sounds and smell, to create the patient's personal world in relation to the other. If the setting is thus seen as a pre-representative condition for the development of subjectivity in relationship with others, certain essential concrete and mental requirements must be satisfied. And 
I am illustrating the necessary characteristic of the setting. Three are they. Continuity and safety, the first. The regularity of the space and time of sessions is an aspect of safety on which the patient can rely absolutely without needing to worry about the safety of the building or the future of development of the relationship. He can take his for granted and a basis for expanding the self, not in a solipsistic masturbatory or anal mode, but in a state of relational mating with another mind that places itself at his disposal for the staging of a playful, adventurous, mysterious and tragic drama. Considered in these terms, the setting, both concrete and mental, corresponds to the ground on which we walk and the air we breathe, as Balint said, something you take for granted, which you don't have to think about, and which therefore lets you give absolutely free rein to fantasies and wishes about what you do not know and have not yet become. From this point of view, the rule is sacred. It is the condition for activation of the game, even when it seemingly has no particular meaning and appears to be nonsense when seen as content. It is the precondition for play, as with the Olympic Games, which arouse so many emotions in people throughout the world, even in nations utterly hostile to each other, whether rich or poor, whatever their languages and religious and however they dress. It is the sine qua non for interaction, the safety of rules, is the guarantor of freedom for encounters in which the maximum degree of personal subjectivity can be expressed. Second quality, a space for empathic fusional closeness and at the same time a guarantee of separateness and freedom. The analyst mental space must be both wide enough and intimate enough to cope with claustrophobic and claustrophilic feelings. The wish for vicious closeness, fusion and mixing can be experienced if accompanied by a guarantee of parting and freedom. Fusion Tendencies are not connotative diagnosis of psychopathology, but an unexperienced experience, the unthought known, the fear of breakdown. The need is to experience it in conditions of safety, while feeling that symmetrical manifestations of viscosity will not be aroused in the analyst. Third quality, a complex space-time with different compartments of the mind to accommodate multiple selves without marginalizing or expelling any of them. 
Some authors see the self as a system that operates physiologically in a state of continuous equilibrium, seeking to achieve the coexistence of multiple selves due to temporary dissociation that are now defensive and now creative. We may agree with Bromberg that the mechanism of dissociation is not only a defensive instrument, but also, as Rieflo suggests, an expedient in the service of creativity. Dissociated aspects of the self can be parked in orbit pending their recovery when the conditions of self and relationships are more favorable. In order to understand and achieve this, the analyst must have a complex mental space that can take account of becoming, of being in time and of the need to safeguard valuable parts of the self without resorting to collusion or overhasty intrusive integration. However, the mental space-time on offer often proves to be narrow, a prey to reifying theories or to ideologies of good therapeutic intentions. This risk admittedly puts to the test the analyst's fate in the instrument of the setting, sometimes tempting him to resort too promptly to science-inducing supportive intervention in order to spare himself, his values and the patient. In conclusion, analysts can expand their mental capacity only on the basis of a rigorous conception of the mental and physical setting. They must strictly observe every aspect of the physical setting while maintaining complete openness in its mental counterpart, notwithstanding theories, ideologies, therapeutic intention and common sense. Seeming instances of elasticity in setting may well conceal the closing off of space and time for sharing of unborn, split off and potential aspects and for their growth. These aspects are disturbers of the peace that have never obtained a hearing, as Beyoncé says. It may sometimes not be possible to avoid recourse to variations described under the heading of elasticity of the setting. These may act as a kind of emergency slide in the relevant situations but involve postponing the development of the analytic function. Just as in the case of a plane, when technical problems require the passenger to disembark by means of this facility before taking another flight. Complexity characterizes the development of the analytic function, for which a strictly observed setting offers the conditions needed for truly providing a place for the other. Another who changes and grows and is different from how he was when we first received him. There must be a place for the otherness of the unconscious that makes us afraid and whose limit is preservation of a very cohesion of the self. It is an element of Darwinian biology, the mental membrane 
and the psychic skin. Our present-day awareness of the plural foundations of the unconscious and of the intrinsic plurality of the subject in space and time is fragile. And if we are not to become frozen in the completion of aesthetic self sought as a kind of sheet anchor, the need is for simple, broadly based and stable settings that can facilitate the germination of hopes for the future. Then Narcissus will be released from the faithful attraction of non-life and can return to the uncertain path of dreams involving a personal and social dynamic. Dreams restore the subject's innermost being to its psychosomatic and relational foundation, with their twofold novel, as K.S. says, rooted in the synchronous workings of the psyche, soma, and in the psychic space of the bond, thus expanding the subject's inner space to embrace more than one individual, so that the dreams of others can be dreamt and unintegrated voices can be heard. The title of one K.S. books translated as a plural singular helps us to understand this complexity. This connotes the intrinsic plurality of the subject in space and time, as well as the complexity of the path to be traveled in order to receive, accommodate, integrate that plurality. A plurality that represents the end point of a journey, with the focus on the other once withdrawal into sameness has been overcome. The conceptual instruments for confronting this plural singular are complex and must be furnished in advance. The setting as a precondition for encountering the other, both in oneself and outside oneself, is one of the precious instruments. Growing up mentally is not easy, even for a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm.